Are UFOs and alien encounters the stuff of science fiction, or are we really not alone out there in the universe? On this episode of Listen With The Lights On, we visited a UFO conference in Kingston, New York, where a few dedicated individuals are devoted to finding the truth behind this popular modern lore. Are the lights on? Good. Welcome to Listen With The Lights On. I'm Jessica Blaustein Marshall. And I'm Patrick Garrett. Unidentified flying objects have fascinated humans for centuries. We didn't have an official name for them until about 1953, when the U.S. Air Force coined the term UFO. By the Air Force's initial definition, a UFO is, quote, any airborne object by which performance, aerodynamic characteristics, or unusual features does not conform to any presently known aircraft or missile type, or which cannot be positively identified as a familiar object. AKA a flying saucer. The Mutual UFO Network, the largest privately funded research center looking into these things, says it received over 8,000 reports of sightings in 2014. MUFON and another reporting body, the National UFO Reporting Center, claim to receive as much as 1,000 reports per month. But while millions of reports of UFOs have been logged since the 50s, science fiction has taken the trope and run with it. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. They police us and spy on us. Tell us that makes us safer. We've never been in more danger. And do something about it, Mulder. So where does the truth really lie? UFO researchers and enthusiasts meet around the world at festivals and conferences throughout the year. The International UFO Congress is the world's largest, held in February in Arizona. We went to Kingston, New York in July, where a small UFO conference was underway. Hundreds of yards in diameter, easily. Probably more than that. Slowly would turn, it was lit up. It looked like it was a series of triangles that made a gigantic circle. In the mid-1980s, Billy Marchetti saw something he couldn't explain in the skies above his house in Kingston. What was it? I don't know. Some people said it was airplanes or, or uh, something from the airport from Stormville. But it was never, they, they called Stormville and they said they had nothing out in the sky that night. So where did it go? Where did it come from? The Hudson Valley has been a known hotbed of alleged UFO activity since the mid-1980s, when thousands of residents up and down the valley reported serial sightings of UFOs flying in a V shape. In 1992, Unsolved Mysteries explored the famous sightings that began in Brewster in Putnam County in 1983, some say it was a hoax orchestrated by stunt pilots, but others, like Marchetti, think it was something else entirely. 30 years later, when Marchetti heard there was a UFO conference right in his backyard, he says curiosity got the best of him. And, you know, I've always kind of believed there's something, you know, out there. 
I mean, come on, look how big the universe is. There's got to be something out there. Yeah. This is a crop circle from England, but this is a dry riverbed. Uh, the conference drew a small crowd, a few dozen people. Jennifer Stein traveled from Philadelphia. She was a presenter speaking for over an hour on crop circles in ancient mounds. She, like many others there, started researching UFO phenomena after a personal sighting. I, uh, I woke up at about uh, 5.30 in the morning and it wasn't light out yet, it was sort of just dawn and I noticed a very odd light in the sky uh, outside my bedroom. It was Mennonite farmland and I saw this rectangle of light that seemed stationary and not moving. It was about my guesstimations on the 45 degree angle a mile and a, to a mile and a half away and about 1500 feet in the air maybe 2000 feet in the air and this was puzzling because I couldn't figure out what it was I thought it was a plane I thought it was going to move I would see that it was a plane it was maybe just reflecting the sun that was coming up and finally after a few minutes of staring at this thing I asked what it you know what the heck is that and that's when this thing jumped to within 500 feet of my house just hovering above a tree. It was about a 70 to 90 foot rectangle of white light that was about five, six feet high. And rectangles of white light don't fly. And I just was stunned by this. I could not figure out what it was. It's the sort of psychological healing or the psychological uh, reconciling of the experiences. Is that something that in addition to exploring the truth, is that something that comes into play when you meet up with folks and, and have conferences and conventions and, and events? Absolutely. People come to these conferences because there isn't a safe place for them to explore and learn more about this. And when they come, they usually find other people who have had experiences either in their same regional area, similar things they have seen or experienced, and they get to learn more from other people who have actually spent their lives studying this. Stein recently produced a documentary about the alleged abduction of Travis Walton in 1975. Travis, the true story of Travis Walton, looks at the then 21-year-old logger's disappearance and subsequent reappearance under mysterious circumstances in Arizona. In the 40 years since the incident, it has become the subject of numerous books and films, including 1993's Fire in the Sky, starring D.B. Sweeney. I don't know what that is. That movie gave me nightmares. <laughs> My story is not a Hollywood film. I'm not a Hollywood producer. I'm a documentarian. So I made a true-to-life, factual, 40-year uh, retrospective on how this event affected and impacted the lives of all the members of the crew, but most specifically Travis. I'm hoping that this film can be a bit of a breakthrough film and can start to help people open their minds to the reality of the UFO topic, what it does to people when they're ridiculed, when they have an experience like this. Travis Walton is not like a, a typical experiencers because it's not that he had a choice to come forward or not come forward with his experience. He went missing for five days and because he was missing and people were looking for him, roughly maybe four to 500 people over a period of a number of days, this made international news because it broke as a homicide story, a missing person story, and a UFO story. So this was a hot potato people were throwing around. Phones were ringing off the hook in Heber and Snowflake and Holbrook, Arizona, where the story took place. And Russia was calling and Mexico was calling and Holland and Belgium and France and Israel. I mean, heads of state were trying to figure out what's going on. 
So when Travis was finally returned, he was an overnight sensation and everybody wanted to get their hands on him and he was severely traumatized. So I take the film from a humanistic perspective about what it was like for Travis, what he went through, how this really destroyed his life in many ways. So it's not really a UFO film, but it's about a bunch of people who had a UFO experience. Ithaca resident Peter Robbins also had a childhood setting. He followed Stein as a presenter. A beautiful June uh, late morning, uh, not a cloud in the sky and uh, coming in at a very high rate of speed, five silvery white disc-shaped objects in a V-type formation, metallic, uh, close enough to see regular detailing around the edge of each, which my sister and I could only interpret as the way you'd see windows on an airliner at a distance. And they just hung in the air for a very prolonged period of time. And, um, you know, like any kid growing up in America in the 1960s, I knew um, about flying saucers. But I, I guess I intuitively accepted the adult definition that they were fine in the B-movies, but that they were not real. And all of a sudden, there they were. He's the author of Halt in Woodbridge, a deep dive into the famous Rendlesham Forest UFO sighting at the U.S. RAF base in the United Kingdom in 1980. Over the decades, I've, I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people on the subject. And um, for me, I would call what I went through the checklist reaction. You look up, you see something completely foreign to your experience, and you just run through in your mind very quickly what they're not planes, kites, blimps, balloons, helicopters, etc., and then you just kind of hit the wall. At a certain point years ago, I, I kind of passed the point where I had the luxury of disbelief, you know, I, which means I have to be particularly careful in every investigation to begin at the baseline again and assume profoundly that it's something mundane. Rochester-based author and ufologist, yes, UFOlogist Richard Dolan rounded out the roster of speakers. His book, A.D. After Disclosure, The People's Guide to Life After Contact, explores a potential reality where the government has admitted UFOs are real. Dolan was also part of the team that starred in the Sci-Fi Channel's six-episode series, Sci-Fi Investigates. He has never had his own sighting. There is actually a wealth of information, primarily through the U.S. Freedom of Information Act, uh, when it was really um, a new thing in the late 1970s, uh, it was very much strengthened at that time, in which uh, UFO researchers petitioned the government for what ended up being thousands of pages of documents through FOIA. They're all freely available for the public to read. What I would say is not any one of them would be the smoking gun to prove that UFOs are extraterrestrial, but I would say if you take the top 10, top 50, top 100, that they are proof not suggestions, not hints, but they are proof that the United States government and military have been deeply interested in this topic at the same time that they denied it to the public. So that there were violations of sensitive airspace recorded by military personnel, by pilots, radar plus visual at the same time of objects in vi uh, violating sensitive airspace that did not look normal. They were described as disc-shaped back in the 40s. Top generals were describing them as disc-shaped, domed on top, flat on bottom. And not only within the U.S., but it really should be pointed out that we do have absolute uh, proof that this was a global phenomenon going all the way back uh, throughout all of the nations. So we've got a lot of great uh, sightings now confirmed from the old Soviet Union, uh, from a few from China. China's a bit more closed, but we've got them. 
uh, all parts of Africa, all parts of Asia, all parts of Europe, South America, my goodness. How has documentation and study of UFOs and sort of the theories around them, has that changed in more modern times? I would say our our understanding of the UFO phenomenon has evolved dramatically over the last human lifetime. Back in the 1940s and 50s, you had people talking about flying saucers and men and maybe a few women from outer space and big metal spaceships coming to, to check us out. That sounds really Hollywood, actually. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and I think what you find is that as the years go by, um, we evolve in our understanding of what this is. And my own opinion is that this is actually much stranger, much more bizarre than, um, than beings from some other planet who are here to either invade or be our space brothers. Um, you know, when we look at the future of our own technology, after all, we're, how long are we from highly advanced artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence ships, for goodness sake, uh, we've mapped the human genome. We are on the verge of creating transhumanist species. I mean, many people talk about this. Have we achieved quantum computing yet? We're certainly close. So we're, we're on our own path to reinvent our civilization that quick. I ask myself, is it impossible that some other species somewhere else already achieved where we're going? If so, could they find us? Yes. Could they get here? Probably. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities that I think we need to open ourselves up to. But that doesn't mean that this phenomenon is from people from another planet. I don't really know where they're from. I do believe that, that there's enough what we call high strangeness in this phenomenon. There's very bizarre encounters that really make me wonder if our own perception of reality is somewhat limited. Whether you believe UFOs are real and that we're not alone in the universe, or you're a bona fide skeptic, one thing we know to be true. The search for the truth will continue, and this modern lore will never be lost to the cosmos. Two little men in a flying saucer flew down to Earth one day. Look to left and right of it, couldn't stand the sight of it, and said, let's fly away. Have you seen a UFO? Tell us about your experience. Email us at lightson at wamc.org. If a horse can be a star, think how dumb the people are, we'd better fly away. Thanks for joining us. Listen with the Lights On is a production of WAMC. Our theme music is Grizzly Reminder by Midnight Syndicate. For more spine-tingling tales, check out our podcast or head over to wamc.org.